Uh, while that goes around, um, man, it seems really loud. I don't know. Is it really loud out there? It's okay. Okay, so we're good. Uh, while that goes around, turn to Philippians 2. We're going to pick up in verse 19 uh, today, kind of continuing going forward in Philippians. Last time we were together, we talked about uh, Paul's admonition. If you remember, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we kind of unpack that under the um, the umbrella of marriage and looking at the idea that there's this point in time when you come to faith in Christ, right? And you begin to work out your salvation as the same as there is in a marriage. You come to a point in time where you weren't married, you, you say your I do's, and then now you're married. But the working out of that marriage relationship takes years, right? It's not like uh, one and done. I don't know about you, Lydia and I have been married a long time now, 31 years, um, and we're still working it out. And, and anyone else who is married uh, or, or has been married or will be married knows this is true. Uh, and so in the same way, Paul encouraged us that in our salvation, we take time to work on living out that salvation. In essence, if you will, practicing it. Uh, and I gave you some challenges in that area. He said this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Um, now, on the heels of that is where we're going to pick up today. Just to get us back into it, I kind of wanted to reconnect where we were at with where we're going since we had a couple weeks of break in between. Uh, in Philippians 2, starting in verse 19, Paul changes directions a little bit, and he talks primarily about two of the Lord's servants who were tasked to work alongside of him, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And as we read in a moment, I want you to take a look and think through and and pinpoint some characteristics of those who serve the Lord. So listen, Philippians 2, starting in verse 19, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed, it says, because... He heard, uh, because you heard that he was ill, indeed he was ill, near death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we unpack this today uh, for, for a few moments, I pray that you will challenge us uh, in discovering and implementing in our lives the characteristics of people who serve God as Paul shows us in the men of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, open our hearts, our minds to you now that we might hear it and put it into action. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. And I heard a ding. I'm just going to double check. That's not my phone. Okay. Because you just never know. You just, you just don't know. My daughter uh, in Montana was just texting me a moment ago because she just, was, just found out that I made it home. So I'd make sure it wasn't her. Um, so starting out here, characteristics of people who serve God. First, Timothy said people who serve God take a genuine interest in the welfare of the church. They truly love others. First uh, John talks a little bit about this. Uh, chapter 3, 16 through 18, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good, goods and sees his brother in need, yet chooses his heart, uh, yet, but yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And so, kind of tying these two ideas together, Paul's saying that Timothy and people who serve God, if we can kind of extrapolate the ideas and the characteristics of Timothy for a moment, they are people that have a genuine interest in the welfare of the church and in the welfare of others, not just in word and in deed, but in action, that they actually do what they say they think and, and what they believe and what Scripture teaches, that they are, they are active in promoting the welfare of the church and the welfare of others. I love uh, the Scripture here where he talks uh, briefly. I just want to point this out. He says, I have no one else. This isn't a part of the point uh, that I just made, nor one of the points in here that I wrote down. But one that stood out to me, uh, it was written in the notes that were lost, but we'll add it in now. Paul says, I have no one like him, and he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. The language here that Paul is using indicates that there is no one else that he works with that is as uh, important, as valuable, as caring, as loving. In fact, if you look a little bit further down, he says, Timothy has proven his worth as a son with a father serving together with me in the gospel, they had such a tight relationship. They had such a servant relationship with one another and with the Lord that, um, that they, they had this, this love in serving. Um, that, again, not one of the points I put in the message <laughs> in its current iteration, but one of the things that is important about serving one another and people who are called and gifted to serve the Lord is that they do it together. And they build almost a familial relationship, if you will, as Paul and Timothy had father and son relationship. Have you ever served with somebody that you had that kind of relationship with? Uh, somebody within the church, uh, older, younger, same age, that, that you work together with so closely that you almost felt at times as though they were closer than your own family. I know Lydia and I um, and our kids, we spent eight years living overseas in Poland, and um, we didn't get to see our family a lot. We were there three years at a time, so there would be a three-year gap where there were no family birthdays, family Christmases, family Thanksgiving. All we had was what we experienced on the field. Now, we were blessed that our mission organization uh, sent other American missionaries to work on our team, and at times we had three, four, five different families of Americans in our town working with us. And so we would gather for them. In fact, there was one family, we had dinner with them twice a week. 
Have you ever had dinner with any family twice a week? <laughs> any, any just like and the people that aren't, you aren't related to, but twice a week you ate together. Once at our house, once at their house. And there were probably more. I mean, there were weeks we probably ate, let's just be honest, three or four times together. Because the Lord knit us together in difficult circumstances, we became like family in a way that we didn't experience with our own family. In fact, it's weird now, now that we live in the United States, we lived in Montana for seven years, we still felt pretty isolated, we hardly got to see family in person. Uh, Now we're closer, we get to see them a little more. But it's interesting that they have a lot of history with each other that we weren't part of. And so even sometimes when we're together, we feel like aliens, where there are folks that we feel closer with. Um, we have friends that live in, in Indiana. They've been here before. In fact, they'll be here in a couple weeks. They're going to come on a, on a Sunday. You've probably met them, Kevin and Emily and their kids. Um, they've been here a couple times. They were folks that we have this, this familial relationship with that's even closer than blood family. Um, and somebody that we can be really close with. And it's been wonderful now that we're back living in the States to reconnect with, uh, especially with Lydia's uh, family. Of course, my parents passed this year, so it's hard to connect with them. But the, the nice thing now is that we can do that reconnecting. But here, Paul is in a similar situation. He is, as we know, in prison unable to connect with his own family. We don't know a lot about Paul's family, but we do know that Timothy was like a son to him. And so that's another characteristic, if you will, not on the points that I wrote down, but that you work and serve together in such a way that this familial bond of love grows and you serve together. Okay, so another point on here. A looking backwards Philippians 2, we're going to back up a little bit and revisit this, but people who serve God look out for the interests of others. You'll note that Paul um, said that he had the interests of others, uh, and he did this in a, in a kind of backwards way. I'm going to reread this in verse 20 and 21. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuine, genuinely interested or concerned for your welfare, and he says, for they, he doesn't they, they, we don't know who they is necessarily, but they are other people that are apparently serving the Lord, uh, or at least trying to. It says, but they all seek their own interests <laughs> and, and not those of Jesus Christ. So I don't know who they were, but they weren't doing a very good job, right? Paul pointed them out. Paul called them out. He said, Timothy's not like them. He's not like, and, and we've all known some of them in church life. People who say they're serving the Lord, people who say they care about the welfare of the church, people who you seem to have a relationship with in the church, but instead they are looking out for their own interests. And Paul is saying to us today that people who serve God are interested in the welfare of others. They put others first. So I'm saying again a moment ago, I said we'd back up to Philippians, uh, beginning of Philippians 2, 3, and 4. You'll notice this is a theme that runs through Philippians. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not for his, only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There must have been an issue in the Philippian church 
because Paul keeps calling it out over and over again, and he's saying, look, there's some of them in the church, those who appear to do one thing but are really doing another, those who are acting in word but not in deed. So, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. People who serve God look out for the interests of others, and they seek the things of Christ. That should be like a, a big flag, a big note. You should write that in your, in your margin of your Bible. Write that in your notes today. Seek the things of Christ. Do you guys know a verse of Scripture? Can you think of one? Seek first the kingdom of God, right? Because Paul is, ha, has that in his mind when he's writing this and he's saying there's those that don't have the kingdom of God in mind. There are those that don't have the genuine welfare of the church in mind. There are those that don't care about you the way you think they do because they're putting themselves first. And he said, don't be like that. Servants of God put others' interests first. People who serve God are also proven in their service. Paul says Timothy was a guy that was proven in his service to God. Um, and, and in his story, uh, in his little, his paragraph here, 19 to 24, uh, in verse 22, he says, you know Timothy's proven worth. He has proven himself. He has had opportunities to serve, to love, to be genuine, to be trained by Paul, equipped by Paul, and then, and then sent out by Paul to do work. And we know that later, uh, Paul writes Timothy personally two, two, two books, and we know these 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, books that Paul wrote to Timothy later, giving him guidance and training and, and if you will, pastoral tips about how to lead and guide and grow the church. Um, Paul knew Timothy was a proven guy. Um, he had tested him. Uh, and so, you know what, that's one of those things that, um, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret, that's one of those things we, we try to do in the church um, because uh, invariably somebody will come and say, hey, I want to do this thing in the church. I want to do something in the church. I want to lead a group or I want to, okay, I got to tell you a story. We were starting a church in Montana. This is 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Church hadn't started yet. We had a block party out in the parking lot, you know, so we've got games, we've got a climbing wall, rock climbing wall is real popular in Montana, so the, the association of churches had a rock climbing wall, and they would go from church to church, and we would use them. So we have this big shindig going on, and this family comes up, this guy, and they had like, what, Lydia, seven kids? Seven kids, I don't know. And uh, he's talking with me, and he said, we'd really like to get involved in your church. I think the Lord's calling me to be the teaching pastor here. And I was like, really? <laughs> wow, he, he hadn't told me about that at all. But I'll tell you what, why don't you come next Sunday and uh, greet people at the front door? Oh, no, no, I, 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 don't wanna, I couldn't do that. <laughs> why don't you come on Saturday? We didn't have a paid cleaner. Why don't you come on Saturday and clean toilets? That's what we really need. We need somebody to dump the trash, vacuum the floor, and clean some toilets. Oh, no, no, I, I couldn't do that. Guess what? We never saw that guy again. He didn't push that calling very far, I guess, <laughs> right? Uh, I would have been crazy to say, hey, that's great. Why don't you come teach next Sunday, right? 
And that's what Paul's talking about this. And, and I guarantee you that is how Paul worked with Timothy. Paul didn't meet Timothy and say, hey, Timothy, what do you want to do? And Timothy's like, I want to go start a church. And Paul's like, great, you go start a church. I'll write you some letters. Paul tested Timothy. He gave Timothy small tasks. He gave Timothy small jobs in the, in the church, if you will. I don't know what they were. We don't really know. I mean, we don't have a lot of data about this, but we do know from Paul's writings that Timothy was proven, and so we can infer from that that Paul had a time of testing of Timothy, training of Timothy, and that Timothy had proven his worth. He had proven faithful to the point, again, I I, I point at this again, that he was now father-son relationship. So had Timothy proven himself? Wow. To the point that they were, they were tight. They had this father-son relationship. And Paul could trust him with anything. And in fact, we know because he was sending them, uh, he was sending Timothy and he was sending Epaphroditus away to the church in Philippi with this message to talk with them and to be with them because Paul couldn't be there on his own. He trusted the proven worth of Timothy enough to send Timothy in his place. Go, Timothy. Go be the mouthpiece of Paul. I can't go, but you go. Wow. Does that put a different ring to your ears? I mean, because we all kind of think Paul's like the super, the super apostle, right? He wrote so many books, and he did so many things, and so many missionary journeys, and in a minute we're going to read about um, all of the mistreatments Paul experienced, Um, but Paul trusted the proven Timothy enough to say, go in my place because I can't go and represent me as you represent the Lord. Wow. Wow. Paul trusted Timothy. People who serve God are proven in their service in the work of the gospel. So, if you ever, (laughs) you want to do something in the church, and you're like, the Lord just called me to do something, and you come to somebody in the church, you come to me, or you come to Dick, you come to Jordan, and you say, what can I do? And they're like, man, the thing we really need you to do is this, and you go, man, that's like a piddly little thing. It's not a piddly little thing. Everything is important. Greeting people, greeting guests, greeting folks at the front door, uh, putting salt down. Anybody, that wasn't a piddly thing today. I don't know who put the salt down. Jordan, I heard you put some salt down. Thank you, Jordan. We could have done the whole parking lot. I don't know if we had enough salt for that, right? Did anybody? Uh, you, please don't tell me if you fell. I'm not even going to ask if you fell at the parking lot. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. Hopefully you fell at home, all those five or six of you that fell. I don't want to know if it was here. Please don't tell me. <laughs> I have, I have plausible deniability if you don't tell me, right? Um, no job is unimportant. No task is unimportant. And that is how you begin, is by proving yourself at the small things. How can you be trusted with something big if you can't be trusted with something small? And so Paul trusted Timothy because of his proven worth. So never, never forget, as you serve in the church, to, to, to prove your worth in the small things. And then the Lord will bring bigger things down the road. Um, 2 Corinthians here talks a little bit about this. Uh, 9.13, it says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ 
and the generous, generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Notice here that the approval goes because of the glory of God. Um, have you ever met somebody that wanted to serve in the church for their glory? Right? It happens. Anybody that's like, wow, look what I did. Any, ever, anybody? anybody? You never known anybody like that? Maybe in, the, maybe in the church, maybe somewhere else. You ask them to do something. They're faithful to do it. But then they're like, wow, look what I did. <laughs> I'm awesome. Second Corinthians, Paul's here is saying their approval of their service, they give glory to God. That God gets the glory in their service. That's part of that, that proving. It, it, it's not just testing to see if somebody will do and be faithful in the small things, it also tests where's their heart. Is their heart in it for the Lord or is their heart in it for their own pat on the back, their own self-gratification, their own glory? So be, be, be aware of that as well as you think this through and, and pray this through and ask the Lord uh, to challenge you in it. Now let's turn to Epaphroditus. Uh, the first two things Paul mentions are identical to the first two things he mentioned in Timothy. So we're not going to belabor them, but the first thing he says, again, people who serve God take care of the needs of others. Um, he says, I send Epaphroditus. Listen to all the things he says. He's my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger, and a minister to my needs. Wow, this guy's busy, right? He takes care of the needs of others. Anybody, we're, we're not going to camp on it too long, but anybody notice my, the fellow soldier one? That kind of puts a spin on what Paul was doing, doesn't it? Uh, anybody ever saying there was an old hymn? I can't think of it off the top of my head. Lorene, you could probably think of it about being a soldier. She, sh she shrugged her shoulders. It's probably a Baptist hymn. I'll look it up. <laughs> um, but, but, but there's this idea that these guys are bonded together, uh, serving the needs of, other, of others in a variety of ways, a familiar way as brothers, a co-worker kind of uh, way as, as, as fellow workers, but also in battle, if you will, as fellow soldiers, messengers, and ministers. So people who take uh, who serve God take care of the needs of others. Again, the second thing he points out is similar to Timothy's. People who serve God care more for themselves than others. Um, in all of what Epaphroditus, we don't know a whole lot more about him, but in all that he did, we know that he was longing for the, the church of Philippi and had been distressed because they heard he was ill. He was more worried that they were concerned about his illness than he was worried about himself. He cared more um, about what other people in the church uh, thought and knew about him. And he was concerned, okay, they heard I'm ill, they heard I'm sick. I'll go back with Timothy. Paul sent him back with Timothy as a, as a way to reconnect them so they could lay their hands on Epaphroditus and say, okay, you're all, you're all right. We were worried about you. And he was worried that they were worried. People who serve God care more for themselves than others. But now there's a couple that are different. Did I say that wrong? Twice? Oh, no. Thank you. You know what? It's been a long day. I got up at 3-something a.m. People who serve God care more for others than themselves. Is that right? Thank you. Strike that other part from the, from the record. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, so he, he turns now to a couple of things that are different. 
And he says this, people who serve God are willing to risk it all in serving God. Paul indicates that Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ, risking his very life. Um, I'm just going to read. Uh, he, they were, it says you were distressed because um, you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. God had mercy on him, and he didn't die lest Paul would be sorrowful. Um, and then he goes a little further down towards the end, and he says, Receive uh, this man and these men with honor and with all joy, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. Twice Paul mentions he was sick, he was ill at the point of death. He risked it all, risking his life to complete what was lacking, risking his life and nearly dying for the work of Christ. And I think this is where this section really gets like, okay, this is where the real, because we can kind of understand these others. They make sense. We think about, we, we talk about loving others. Uh, we talk about loving God. We talk about uh, being devoted to the things. We talk about having a, a genuine care and love for the church and one another. Um, those things we talk about a lot. But Paul here says Epaphroditus was a guy who was willing to risk everything, even his life, for the cause of Christ. John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for friends. Um, Epaphroditus was willing to, to, to die, to risk it all for his friend, Jesus Christ. He was willing to risk it all for his Savior, Jesus Christ. And he was willing to risk it for Paul, because he almost died in service to Paul and in service to the Lord, completing what the church in Philippi failed to do. Epaphroditus said, okay, church in Philippi, you can't complete this work. We don't know what this work is. But he says uh, it has some, probably something to do with supporting and caring for Paul. Uh, we don't completely know. But Epaphroditus um, put his life on the line, risking himself for Paul. Listen to what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab my Bible here and turn to this. I told you a minute ago I would read Paul's list. We've read this before, but I love this list. Things that Paul risked, if you will, for the Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, starting in verse, let's see here, what do we got, 23? All right. Starting in verse 23. Are there servants of Christ, Paul says? I'm a better one. <laughs> I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there's the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? He, he has this list um, I wonder why no one's ever made that into a song. I, I, we can think of a lot of songs from Scripture, right? You know, 
A lot of the songs we sing, if you begin to look at a, a, a Bible program where you can punch in like line lyrics, or you can even just do it on the internet. You can just go to Google, type in a lyric from a song and ask it to look it up in the Bible verse. There, most of the stuff we sing is directly connected to Scripture. Why not this one? I don't know. It probably wouldn't sell records. The, uh, honestly... The, the, the real reality of Christianity does not sell. Because this is the real reality of Christianity. That God has called us to lay down what? Our very selves. Lay down a life for a friend. Pick up your cross, the instrument of death, and follow me. The, the real message of the gospel of Jesus Christ includes a glorious transformation in the individual, in salvation, uh, being brought from death to life. The, the old is gone and the new has come, but it also comes at a great cost. And potentially, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing for Paul and Epaphroditus, it, it almost cost Epaphroditus his life. And for Paul to say that, because Paul knows something about being near death, I think, that's a pretty amazing statement. Paul saying, Epaphroditus is also proven in a way, isn't he? Because he was willing to risk everything. He was willing to risk it all on the gospel and on his Savior, Jesus Christ. People who serve God are willing to risk it all. Last thing he points out here, and then we're going we're gonna to back up to the risk for a second, but I don't want to leave this one hanging. People who serve God are worthy of honor. He says, honor, I'm going I'm to flip back to this real quick, honor, such, let's see what it says. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, he's referring to when he says men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, honor such men and men who are willing to risk it all for he, Epaphroditus, nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me, honor. Let's look at the definition of that word. Honor is respect that is given to someone who is admired, has good quality or character as judged by other people. Um, I'm going to just change that definition a little bit. <laughs> respect is given to someone who is admired, has good quality or character as judged by God. It doesn't really matter what other people think, does it? I'm going to come right down to it. Paul says those who are willing to risk it all, those who have genuine concern for the church, those who have genuine love for one another, uh, these kind of men and women, children are worthy of honor. Romans 12.10 talks about honoring one another. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, we talked about this when we did the One Another series, but I love this passage uh, because I love the language outdo. Um, it's almost as if Paul in Romans throws down a challenge. See if you can outdo one another in honor. See if you can outdo one another at honoring others and making God look great and making yourself kind of in the background. It's not about me. Um, remember, we, we've, we've 
camped on that phrase quite a bit, haven't we, in the past four years? Lydia keeps saying, we haven't lived here four years yet. I can't time the Polish way. Um, in, in, in Polish counting, you would say you're in the year that you're in would be the, the year that you've completed. Kind of a different way of thinking. So we have lived here three and a half years, but you would say this is our fourth year. And so you, there's a little, little slight difference. I like to think that way. This is our fourth year. So that means immediately at the end of June, I can say we're, we're in our fifth year, even though we've only been here like four years in a couple days. Drives Lydia crazy. She's like, why do you keep saying four years? We've only been here three and a half. And I was like, but I just keep, I just keep saying it now to bugger. <laughs> That's terrible. Sorry, Lynn. <laughs> ah. Love one another. Honor one another. Outdo one another one another. Because it's not about us, and it's not about me. Last thing he says here is, honor those who lead you. Hebrews 13, 17, honor your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I put that in there to remind us that he was sending uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus back to Philippi as representatives of Paul and of the gospel, also as leaders in the church. And he said, honor these men. Why? Because they're leaders and because Scripture says honor one another. Now I want to pull up that last slide for me real quick. I want to close with this idea. Um, on Facebook, anybody get on Facebook and look at these? I post these every week. I, I, I know a couple of people. Eric does. All right. I know some people do. Not very many people comment, that's all right, but every week I post a Facebook page uh, with some questions and some further stuff that you can, you can read and you can think about. And the one I posted this week, uh, uh, I want to particularly point out the last two questions. How do you feel about Epaphroditus and the risk to his life in serving God? And how much would you risk? So it's kind of a question I just want to leave hanging in the air. How much would you risk for Jesus Christ? How much would you risk for the genuine welfare of the church? How much would you risk for one another? How much would you risk for sharing the gospel in our community? How much would you risk? Uh, I encourage you guys get on there every week. You don't have to comment, but... Take a look at these, and I send the links out, and you guys get all those links, um, and think through, and even talk through in your family about these things. But this week, let this one kind of, I'm just going to, like I said, just leave it hanging with you. We're going to do communion in a moment, um, but that might be a question you have to go to the Lord with. You may have known the answer immediately when I asked it. <laughs> you may have said, mm, not very much. Or I'd be willing to risk everything. But some of you were probably like, I don't know. How much would I willing, be willing to risk? And so let that kind of permeate your thoughts this week and think on that and pray on that. I'm going to do communion a tiny little bit different today. You've got cups. Somebody pointed out that there are enough cups in here for probably four times the amount of people, one in every chair. So you shouldn't have a hard time finding one of these. <laughs> They're everywhere. Um, I, you know, I like to think uh, big, and I was expecting the room to be filled. No, I, d I don't know. 
I just told Renee, put one in every seat. <laughs> Next time I'll tell Renee, put one in every other seat. How about that? Um, so I'm going to do this a little differently today. And instead of a commentary on it or uh, any particular um, reading or anything, I'm just going to read through Luke 22. Uh, you know how much I like to read scripture, hear scripture read, uh, just want the, the, the event to kind of wash over you. So uh, listen and think about it, and when we get to the points in the context of the reading where we share communion, I'll just stop reading for a moment and we'll take the element there, then uh, we're going to close um, shortly after that. But let's just read together what it says. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him, that's Jesus, to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was the number of the twelve. Who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Christ to them. They were glad and agreed to give him some money, so he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? Jesus replied saying, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. Tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. They went and they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, the apostles all around him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and he said, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this divided among you for yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, he took and said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And of course, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He says, Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man whom is betrayed. Whom he, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them could it be who was going to do this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we talked about and studied today in Philippians. And Lord, we thank you for uh, the words of Luke 22 that tell the story of the evening 
of that meal and the foreshadowing of what was to come in Christ going to the cross for my sin, for our sin, for the sins of the world. Lord, we thank you that on the, on the basis of that sacrifice, we can come before you and confess our sin to you, believing that you, you brought Jesus Christ back from the dead, that he went to the cross, he died, he rose again, and because of that, we can now enter into a new relationship with you, a restored relationship, a, a relationship that brings us back into uh, your presence. Lord, we thank you that this is possible through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ didn't remain in the grave, but hey, he rose again that he taught, he spent time with the disciples, teaching them, preparing them, and sending them. And then he ascended into heaven and is at your side even now and will come again. And so, Lord, as we do this, whenever we share this meal, Lord, we share this meal remembering that Jesus Christ will come again. Lord, we thank you for this remembrance. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we're going to sing just real briefly a cappella, uh, the, the chorus of I Stand Amazed, and then we're going to follow it with the doxology. So I think we're going to have that on the screen. Um, all right. Okay, I'm going to sing. It's probably going to be loud because my mic's real hot. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. peace. Thank you guys. Great to be back. Woo. Awesome.